there are certain shows, certain people who are just masters of comedy. There are some of the sitcoms that I watch. One of them is called The Middle. And when I watch it, I am just astounded by the brilliance of the writers and how they will set you up to move in one direction and you expect something to happen. And then all of a sudden, the comedy is found in what you don't expect taking place. That's one of the keys to comedy. One of, there is a particular gag that was used um, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago in movies that you'll see in a lot of different movies, and it involves that exact thing. The person who has kind of begun the conversation will say something, and you expect that the response will be in one direction, and all of a sudden it moves in another direction. The gag is the walk this way gag. And as I was looking through the videos, getting ready for this week, you'd be amazed how many of the great comedians have used that gag. Laurel and Hardy, uh, the Marx Brothers, Tim Conway, they all use that gag. And I just came across a couple of these and, and uh, just watch a few of them this morning. This way. This way. Okay. Walk this way, sir. Well, I'll try. Pull yourself together. Walk this way. Walk this way. Please. This way, gentlemen. No, 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 gentlemen, please. I said walk this way. No, you walk this way. In each of those, what you expect in the context when you hear walk this way is for someone simply to follow. But obviously, when we use that phrase, walk this way, we can also mean observe what I am doing, take note of how I am acting, and then respond in a very similar manner. This morning, the passage that we're looking at, that concept of walk this way, is a dominant feature of Genesis chapter 17. As God is speaking to still Abram, soon to be Abraham, he will say to him, walk this way. And what he means by that is notice what is taking place around you and then walk in a way that reflects that. As you see what is taking place, as you see what is happening, Abram, as I've come to you now through 25 years of your life, and I've come each time to say, walk, and uh, here's what I'm doing. Now God comes to Abram, again, soon Abraham, and says to him, based on what you know, based on what I have revealed, based on the promises that I have given you, this is the way you ought to live your life. This is the way you ought to walk. 
observing those things ought to change the way you perceive life and then how you walk in the midst of that life. This morning we're in Genesis chapter 17, and if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. And We've been working through the life of Abraham, and the entire focus of Moses' writing here in this particular book, in this particular section, as we're dealing with Abraham, is the, the, the question, how do we live in light of the promise of God? God has made this incredible promise, two of them primarily, to Abram, and that is that I will give you this land and I will give you out of your descendants a great nation. And Abram is responding to that, and Moses provides for us, the story of Abram provides us two different ways that we can respond. One is in faith. And living out those promises in our day-by-day-by-day walk of life. The other is faithlessness. To live as though those promises were not true. To live in ways that reflect not trust in what God has said, but a lack of trust. And as we come to Genesis chapter 17, it is following again one of those failures of Abram and Sarai as they have been confronted with the reality that there is still no child. And so not out of faith, but out of fear, out of pressure, out of those things that motivate us that are not based on faith, they choose to come up with their own scheme. And the idea is Sarai saying, since I cannot produce a child out of my body, we will use the body of Hagar in order to accomplish this. And it's always true in our lives when we choose to respond in faithlessness things get really messed up, and God intervenes. Now, we are 13 years later. They're still waiting for the promise. It's still delayed. There is still no son by Sarah, and the problem is she's getting old. God comes again and says, Abram, I still want you to trust. I still want you to believe. As we come to this particular section, section, this particular chapter, God shows up. After 13 years, and has a message for Abram. And the message is this. Enjoyment of God's covenant involves continually living out that covenant in our day-by-day life. And as God comes to Abram, the very first thing that he says to him is this, I have made a covenant with you. That covenant rests in who I am as God. And now based on that covenant, based on what already exists, based on that relationship which God established, 
Here's how you live it out. Here's how you walk. I want you to walk this way. And so as you come to Genesis chapter 17 and those very first verses, you read this. When Abraham, let me get my glasses because that will help. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord, the word there is Yahweh, appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will confirm my covenant between you and me by asking you to live this way. Now, the first thing that we begin to understand is this. We live out our covenant relationship by, by fulfilling our revealed responsibilities. As we come to this passage, the existence of the covenant rests in God. But the living out of that covenant is the responsibility of Abram. He is to live in a certain way based on the reality of that covenant. And the very first thing that God comes and says is that the responsibility of the covenant reflects God's self-revelation. We live out the covenant by living out what it is that we know about God. And all through these chapters, God has been revealing more and more and more about himself. Remember chapter 16, when God comes to Hagar and says, says, I want you to name your child by Abram. I want you to call him Ish. I, Shema, El. The God who hears me. And then God gives this incredible opportunity to Hagar. When, when he gives to Hagar the, the ability to name him. And Hagar says, you are El Roy, the God who sees me. And now, the third revelation about God, in just a few verses, I am El Shaddai, the God who is able to do what he promises. Now, that's a large translation, so they just make it God Almighty. But the idea is, what I say will happen and I will accomplish it. As God reveals himself, we live on the basis of the God that we serve and his character and what we know of him. This morning, to me, it was just really moving after the weekend and the funeral and all to be standing next to Austin, my grandson, and, and just to hear him singing those choruses. He loves to sing. And I can remember when he was this size, and he kind of mumbled the choruses, and you're never quite sure what the words were as they were coming out. Then he got a little older, and he kind of get choruses mixed up. And then I heard him this morning as he was singing. I don't know if you could hear him, but I sure could. And I, I knew he understood those words. He understood when we were singing about a great and a good and a, and a wonderful God. And I thought to myself, you know, 
the thing to teach him, the thing to teach our children, the thing to understand in our lives as we come to understand more and more and more and more about God. It affects how we live our lives. And in this life, in this covenant, in the new covenant, God has revealed himself, yes, in Scripture, but Scripture says that God has revealed himself in his Son. And we have behold, we have beheld the one and only God the the unique God who was revealed in the Son. And all that the Son tells us about the God that we serve, His grace and His mercy, His kindness and His love. Yes, His holiness and His call for us to walk in a similar manner as He walked. But as we know God to To live out the covenant is to live out what we know about him and about his promises. God reveals himself. The second thing is this, the responsibility of the covenant results from our participation in the covenant, not as a means of obtaining it. God says to Abraham, Live this way, walk this way, not to get the covenant. The covenant has already been cut. Remember chapter 15? God has already passed through the, the, you know, the, the animals that were cut in half. The covenant is established. God has chosen Abraham. God has chosen the, the nation that will come out of him. God has said, I will give you these promises. And what he comes to Abraham now and says, Abram, soon to be Abraham, is this. Live out what is already yours. Live out what already exists. For the new covenant believer, we know that God has forgiven us, that God is working in our lives, that he's bringing about sanctification, that he is faithful when we are not faithful. We understand that that God has poured out his love in, in the midst of unbelievable circumstances, those that would crush us. We don't look to the circumstances. We look to the cross, and we see a God that loves us that much. And we know that the covenant is ours if we have faith and trust in Christ. Why do I choose? Why do we choose to live a certain way? Not to get salvation. We could never live well enough. We live this way because it's what we already have. Live it out. Live out God's mercy with your family and with your friends and with your neighbors and your co-workers and your, your students or your fellow students or whoever it may be. Live out that covenant in your own life as we understand it is ours. And now we can live it out. But I love the next one. The responsibilities of the covenant flow out of from an awareness of God's presence. As you read there, you'll read that he says to Abraham, just with these words, he says, I am God Almighty. That's his revelation. Walk. If you want, you can think of, you know, young Frankenstein. Walk this way. Here's the cane. 
The idea of walk there, that's a wonderful translation. But the idea of walk before is this. Orient your life to God's presence, promises, and expectations. When my children and I get along the best, when we enjoy the covenant relationship that I established with them when they were born, and there's nothing they can do to remove themselves from that covenant relationship, they will be my children from now to eternity. That cannot change. It will not change. But you know the times we enjoy that relationship the most? When they're walking in ways that please me when they're doing the things that reflect the values that, that we hopefully share and we, we are moving in the same directions with our lives, that's when we just love the relationship. God says, walk this way. Live your life as though I'm really present. I am really there. Live your life as though you really believe the promises that I've made to you. Live your life in the way that pleases God. He has already accepted us. If we have faith in Christ Jesus, we are already his children. We don't do it in order for him to accept us. We do it because he has already chosen us. And we want to please Dad. We want to please our Father. And then finally, I don't know about you, but this phrase scares me. God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. There is one thing I know about my life. As I normally understand that word, I am not blameless. I have done many things wrong again. Austin and I were spending yesterday afternoon together doing the most important thing a grandfather can do with his grandson, fishing. And uh, as we were on our way out to the fishing place, we started this conversation about, about and again, I don't know where you got to, now pop up, is it true that if we lived a perfect life and never sinned, that we would then be okay to go to heaven and live forever? Is that true, pop up? And my answer was, yeah. Only one problem. You're not going to live a sinless life. So what does it mean to be blameless? What does that word mean in this context? The word means basically to be faithful. And when you see this word blameless, particularly used in an Old Testament context, and also in the Gospels, when... when um, the, when, when Simeon in the, is said a man that walked blameless before God, it doesn't mean they were perfect, but it means there was a consistency between the outside of their life and the inside. We seek to be consistent with what we declare that we believe and the relationship that we declare that we have. And so it's our responsibility. The responsibilities of the covenant are fulfilled through our commitment to faithfulness. 
not perfection. God is working in your life. He's, he's molding us. He's, he's seeking to remove those areas where we are not faithful. He forgives and he's merciful and he's kind and he's gracious. How do I know that? Because he's stuck with Abram. And Abram isn't done messing up. There's still some more to come. But what he called forth from Abraham is be faithful. When you mess up, be broken. Come to God and seek his correction. Accept that correction. Walk blamelessly before your God. But then as you continue to read down, there's some other things that happen as a result of living in the covenant and walking that covenant out. And that is we live out our covenantal relationship by reflecting our new identity resulting from God's promise. Something really cool takes place here. And as you read down, beginning there in verse 3, God continues to talk. There are actually five times God talks in this passage. And here in chapter 3, he, he talks, begins again and says, Abraham, Abraham fell down, um, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will no longer be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, the father of many. Now you will be called Abraham, the father of many nations. And what is so interesting, from this point on in Genesis, he is never called Abram again. He seeks to live out that new identity. It goes on, and God says, as for you, Abram, this is what I want. And then he goes on to say a little bit later, as you continue to read down in verse 15, God said to Abram, Abraham, As for Sarah, or Sarai, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name is now Sarah, because she will be the mother of many kings. What's interesting is the name Sarai and Sarah basically mean the same thing. They mean princess. The creator of the royal line is what the idea is there. The significance is not that the name necessarily has a big change in meaning, but just that it's a new identity based on the promise. You're no longer Abram, the father of just a brood. You are Abraham, the father of many nations. Sarai, you're no longer Sarai, which was kind of an older form of that name. You're now Sarah. Live out the reality of what you're called. Now, there's nothing new to that. The sense of a new identity is the same thing that happens in the new covenant. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says this, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We change our perspective. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that dude is new. He is a new creation. 
The old has gone. The new has come. Now, God says that's a reality. That's our position before Christ, before God. The process of sanctification. Remember that that guy who kept falling up the escalator a couple weeks ago? We're moving up. God's taking that into our lives and allowing us to reflect him more and more. But it's a process. It's also a choice. To make the choices in our lives that reflect God's presence. That reflect our new identity. But not only does Abraham accept that new identity, because of it, he has to change the way he lives his life. That new identity, the sure promises of the covenant, bring a new direction to our lives. It's a little bit more difficult to see it. But you see it as you begin to read down in verse 17. It says, as God has interacted with him, that Abraham fell down and he laughed. Now, there's a couple ways to understand that. God has just come to Abram and said, listen, I know you're 99 years old, and I know that Sarah is almost 90 years old, but you're going to have a baby. Listen, if God came to me just at almost 60 years old and said, Sydney's going to have a baby, I'm not sure if I'd fall down and laugh or fall down and cry. I'll take grandkids. They're easy. And so it's not certain whether the idea of is Abraham fell down in worship and then began to laugh kind of in excitement or whether he just fell down in laughter going, ah, you've got to be kidding. We're not sure how to translate it literally. But as you continue to read through, he has a question. Abraham says, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. If only he would be the child of promise. Now, God will honor Ishmael, but he's not the child of promise. So God says, then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And I now want you to orient your life with the reality that Isaac, is the son of promise. Change the way you live based on this reality. We are to live out our new identity in Christ. We have to change how we live. Change the directions, the choices we make because of those sure promises. Again, it's, it's the new covenant too a little different because the promise is different but we have a new identity Romans chapter 6 5 through 7 if we have been united with him like this in his death we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin that is the reality that is the promise That is what we hold on to by faith. And then we have to live it out. Therefore, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. 
Therefore, don't let your don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you obey its evil desire. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather because of your new identity, because you have been identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, there is a new way to live, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Have you placed your faith in Christ as your Savior? If the answer to that is no, then deal with it this morning. Talk to me, someone else, about that. But if you have, you're new at that moment. And Paul is writing to us and God is asking us, live as if this were true, as if your new identity was true. Find out what it means to live in a way that reflects who I am now in Christ. But there's one other thing. And actually, this is a major theme of this passage. And that is, Abram is given a sign. Abraham is given a sign of the covenant. It's Abraham's way to say, I accept the covenant. I will live under the realities of this covenant. And so God says to Abraham, it's going to take me a while to get Abraham instead of Abram. God says to Abraham, here's the sign of the covenant. Here's how you will outwardly demonstrate that you have inwardly accepted what I have given to you. And the sign of the covenant was circumcision. Now, I kind of skipped over this real quick. Let me just go. We live out our covenant relationship by carrying out the sign of the covenant. And the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. Now, quickly, there's a couple things we need to understand about circumcision. First of all, it was not culturally unique. It wasn't just that the people of Israel, the family of Abraham, were involved in circumcision. It existed throughout the, the, the Middle Eastern regions during this time, during the second millennium B.C. It was common among a lot of people. The Egyptians were involved in it. Other co- people were involved in it. It was very, very, very common. But it had a very different meaning in those other cultures. It had one of three meanings. Either one, it was a de- declaration that a boy has moved from childhood to adulthood. And so almost, in fact, every one of these cultures involved with circumcision, circumcised the child when they were at least in puberty or a little older. The other thing that it demonstrated is that 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 person, that young man, was ready to be married and that they were of maritable age. Or it meant that they were ready to be sexually active. That's how the pagans understood it. God says to Abraham, 
I want you to circumcise a baby on the eighth day. Reflecting the creation of the child the first seven days. And then the entrance into the covenant on the eighth day. The second thing we need to understand that it acknowledged the promise was to the offspring through the father. Why was it just the males that, that were involved in this, in this ritual, in this ceremony? Well, it's because in the Old Testament, the covenant came through the Father. When God said, I am the God of, what did he say? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God that has passed this promise through the fathers. He didn't say, I am the God of Sarah. I am the God of Rebekah. I am the God of... Why didn't he do that? Because women aren't as important? No. It was just that in that Old Testament context, the promise was passed down through the father. So it was the male children that were circumcised. Third thing we need to know, and it acknowledges that our entrance into that covenant takes place when that child was born. It's a result of being the child of someone who was already in the covenant. And so if I'm in the covenant, I pass that covenant on by being involved with the ceremony of circumcision, and it recognizes that this takes place at birth. And then finally, God says, when it comes to your relationship with me, it's meaningless without the reality of the heart. Now, it may declare that you're a part of a nation that I have chosen to honor. But in terms of your relationship with God, circumcision is only meaningful if it represents a heart that is submissive to God. You see this in several different passages, many passages. Jeremiah 9, 25 through 26. You'll notice all of the other nations that were involved in circumstance, in circumcision. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the deserts and distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised. Why? Well, they were involved in the flesh, but... Even as the house of Israel, their hearts are not circumcised. There's no no submission internally to the will of God. Now God made a promise. He says, the Lord your God will circumcise your, your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. God says throughout the Old Testament, you know, there's a new covenant coming where it isn't about the externals, it's about the internal. It's not about law, it's about grace. It's not about doing, it's about believing. It's not about your power, but the presence of the Holy Spirit in you working out that change in your life. Colossians, Paul writes it this way, in him, that is, in Christ, you also were circumcised. Not in the putting off of flesh, but of the putting off of the sinful nature, the old self, 
You're not the same. You have that new identity. Not with circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. With the change, the removal that Christ brings about. And then Paul explains it this way. Having been buried with him in baptism. Raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. The New Testament outward sign of an inward faith in the covenant of God is baptism. And as we teach baptism, there's some things we need to understand. The first is the sign of the new covenant, yes, is baptism. It is going into the water and going underneath and coming back up. And a couple of those characteristics, first of all, it was not unique. Many, many people in the, in the New Testament times had the ceremonial bath as a declaration of your membership. The key was not whether you went into the water or with one group, whether you went into the blood of bulls. How would you like that baptism? The key was, when the person was baptizing you, the question was, in whose name were you identifying? And so Jesus declared, you know, if you're a follower of me, you get baptized, how? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Paul said it a little bit differently to a Gentile group because of their understanding. And he said, we get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We declare ourselves followers of him. That we accept the covenant. It's the outward sign. Secondly, it symbolizes entrance into the covenant, not at the moment of birth. That's why we don't baptize children, but we have dedication. And those that do baptize children understand this is an entrance into the covenant in a unique way, and I'm not going to get into that. But we believe that you enter into God's covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. So when do you get baptized? After your faith. To demonstrate that you're a part of that covenant you've chosen to be. It acknowledges the scope of the covenant. It's no longer just men. It's men and women and any who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and understand its significance. And then finally, it is meaningless without the heart reality. I've been baptized five times. Once when I was young, and I had no blooming idea what was going on, but all my friends were being baptized. Once when I was an older teenager and realized, oh, that's what it means. And then I joined a church that had a unique way of baptizing people that was you had to be baptized, you had to be dunked three times forward. And you couldn't be a part of the church unless you got dunked three times forward. I've been dunked five times. Man, I am ready. (laughs) But the time it was meaningful, the time when I understood it as a teenager, That was my declaration that I accept that covenant and I'm part of it. The implications of that real quick. We're going to have a baptism in about a month. And I encourage you to, if you've never been baptized as a believer, and you are a believer, 
It's time to let people know in this unique way that God has called us to do it. Why circumcision in the Old Testament? I don't know, but I'm glad it's not the sign anymore. <laughs> I know, all of you were waiting for that line, weren't you? Now it's, it's baptism. Baptism is not the means to salvation, but it acknowledges it. And it declares that I will choose to live out this covenant. I will choose to live out God's lordship in my life. It's not salvation. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith. If you're not a believer, don't be baptized. It means nothing. And when you get baptized, please know that the act of baptism does not change you. The only difference is when you come out of the water, you're wet. It simply reflects what needs to already have been there. Thirdly, baptism is the responsibility of all believers to fulfill. It was incomprehensible for somebody in the Old Testament to declare themselves a part of the covenant and not be circumcised. In fact, it was under a death sentence in the second temple period. Aren't you glad that's not true of baptism? But it was like, how could you be a believer and not be baptized? And then this is just, for me, it's something that I find very important. And that is baptism should take place when a child or a person can understand its significance and its symbolism. Maybe as a reflection of my own life, I was too young the first time. But to make sure that a child truly can understand, I am committing my life to following Jesus. God calls us to live out the covenant, to walk like this, because we are the children of promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the example of Abram in our lives. Thank you that we can be those that demonstrate you, demonstrate our relationship with you. Father, begins through that act of faith that we talked about earlier. And as each we do each Sunday, we invite anyone that is not certain of having that relationship to come and speak to me or someone else. Father, thank you that we can have that relationship. Thank you that we are part of the covenant. Father, help us to live it out to your glory and to your honor. And it's in the name of your son we pray. Amen.